section 81 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Ségur. The Last Moments and Death of St. Charles Borromeo St. Charles Borromeo is one of the greatest men who have ever lived. Born in Italy in 1538, he belonged to one of the most powerful and celebrated families of Milan. A tender piety preserved his childhood from the faults which are usual at this thoughtless age, and as his holiness constantly increased, the forty-six years which he lived in this world were passed in innocence, unsullied by a single grievous sin. Called to the service of God and to the ministry of the holy altar, he embraced the ecclesiastical state very early in life, and his uncle having been raised to the dignity of the sovereign pontificate under the name of Pius IV, St. Charles, whilst still young, found himself elevated, by no wish of his own, to the most brilliant offices of the Roman Church. At twenty-three he was a cardinal and was distinguished in the ranks of the sacred college by his fervent piety, his love of justice, his zeal for the sanctification of souls, his inexhaustible tenderness for the unfortunate, his prudence, and his energy. Appointed Archbishop of Milan, he left Rome in spite of the entreaties of his uncle, and during the twenty-three years that his episcopate lasted, he consecrated himself wholly to the salvation of souls of those who constituted his immense flock. He never counted the cost when any opportunity offered of doing good. A fortune of more than 500,000 a year was spent in good works, in useful Christian foundations, and in alms. Once this great bishop was known to give away 17,200 pounds in a single day. We cannot here relate the details of this admirable life, written by his secretary, who was an eyewitness of the facts which he relates. It was sufficient to affect the conversion of a Protestant minister into whose hands it fell by chance. This minister relinquished all his prejudices against the Catholic priesthood, and on entering the bosom of the church, he followed the voice of his conscience which said to him, A religion which produces such lives as these is evidently true. The following is, in a few words, the history of the last moments and glorious death of the Holy Archbishop of Milan. The whole life of St. Charles was passed in prayer and good works, and was indeed a perpetual retreat, but yet he never failed to make one every year. And then, in the presence of God, he spent some days in making a severe review of his conscience in order to commence anew with a still more fervent spirit of zeal, self-sacrifice, and devotion. In the year 1584, which was that of his death, he made this retreat with more fervor than usual, in a religious house which became celebrated on account of the stay he made there, and called Montvarel, upon the borders of Lake Maggiore, sixty miles from Milan. In a narrow cell, which he had chosen for his room, he slept on planks covered only with an old piece of coarse cloth. He only rested three or four hours during the night, and ate nothing but bread, and drank nothing but water. He increased his austerities, which were always most severe, prayed for six or eight hours every day, 
and passed a great part of the night in prayer. On the fifth day of his retreat, he made his annual confession with a heart so broken with sorrow and such floods of tears that his confessor could not himself refrain from weeping. He prepared himself the preceding night by remaining eight hours on his knees in prayer without being exhausted, motionless, and ravished in ecstasy. And he found the time so short that he believed the clock had been put forward. As a vigorous laborer redoubles his energy as the end of the day draws near, so this great saint, considering that little time remained to him, gave himself up wholly to preparation. During all his retreats, he had always been very closely united to God, but he now appeared more than ever absorbed in Jesus Christ and detached from the things of the world. When he said Mass, he was so penetrated with God, and his tears fell so fast, that he was obliged to interrupt the holy sacrifice in order to wipe them away. His face then grew so radiant that it appeared transfigured with light, undoubtedly from that interior light which flooded his great soul. At the end of this retreat, on the 24th of October, our Lord, hearing the desires of his faithful servant, sent him an attack of fever, the commencement of the sickness which in a few days should put an end to his earthly exile. St. Charles, ever severe to himself, continued his penitential exercises, and it was only by the desire of his confessor that he consented to soften his austerities a little and to shorten his prayers and his vigils. He allowed his bread to be prepared in water, without salt and without butter, which was a great delicacy for him. He also permitted a little straw to be placed upon the boards on which he slept and shortened his prayers by some hours. On the 28th, he had a fresh attack which caused him much suffering, but the strength and vigor of his soul sustained the weakness of a body exhausted by sickness and penance. The Holy Cardinal resolved to discontinue his spiritual exercises in order to be at Milan for the approaching feast and to say the pontifical mass there according to his custom. Upon his road, there were two or three towns through which he desired to pass in order to complete certain charitable endowments and reforms of which he had laid the foundation in one of his pastoral visits. Notwithstanding the fever from which he was suffering, he traveled all night and crossed Lake Maggiore. He said evening prayers with the boatmen and with those in his suite and asked them if they had prayed to God when they had set forth on their journey. He made them promise that in future they would always say the Paternoster, the Ave Maria, and the Credo at the commencement of each voyage. He passed almost the whole night in prayer, and having reached the little town of Canobbio, the end of the first part of his journey, he recited his office, confessed, and celebrated Mass. After his thanksgiving, he took some bread and water to fortify himself a little, regulated the spiritual affairs of the place, and notwithstanding his fatigue, went up into the pulpit to preach to the people. From Canobbio, he went to Escona, in spite of the bad weather. When he arrived there, he was consumed by burning fever, and was requested to take a little rest in bed, but from a spirit of penance, he would lie on nothing but straw. The attack having passed off, he felt that he could continue his journey so as to be at Milan on the Feast of All Saints. But the doctors opposed it, and he passed the night in this place. The following day they found him risen quite early in the morning and reciting his office on his knees. He prepared himself to say Mass and celebrated after having confessed in the church 
although he was so feeble that when making the genuflections, someone was obliged to assist him to rise. Nevertheless, he was anxious to fast the whole of that day because it was the vigil of all saints, and he only took a bitter draught by the desire of his physician. He then set out for a town called Arona and passed a part of the journey in praying and exhorting the boatmen to live like Christians. He spoke to them of the Feast of All Saints with so much fervor that they could not restrain their tears. During the little time that he remained at Arona, he gave his whole attention to serious affairs which concerned the glory of God and the salvation of souls. The next day, the Feast of All Saints, he rose two hours after midnight and prayed until day. Then, as on the vigil, he recited his office, confessed, which he did every day, and prepared to say Mass at seven o'clock. There were a great number to receive communion because of the feast. This Mass was the last that he celebrated. A remedy taken at the wrong time increased his disease. The fever became very violent and continued until his death. The next day, all souls, he again desired to say Mass, but was so weak that he could not do so. He desired at least to go to church to hear it, and he confessed and communicated with much fervor, afterwards reciting his office on his knees. After having taken some food, he embarked once more and arrived at Milan. 2. The more nearly the moment approached in which St. Charles was to quit the earth, the more closely were his mind and heart united to God. He had always had a great devotion to the mysteries of the Passion of Our Lord, which formed the constant object of his thoughts. This attraction grew more forcible at this supreme moment, and as he could no longer apply himself to close meditation on the suffering of his Divine Master, he had two pictures placed near him in which the Son of God was represented in his sepulchre and during his agony in the Garden of Olives. One glance was thus sufficient to recall the love of his Saviour and to help him to unite his sufferings to the sufferings of his Lord. It was the 3rd of November. The doctors, after having carefully examined his condition, declared he was in danger. Towards two o'clock, the fever became still more violent and was accompanied by extreme drowsiness. It became necessary to announce to the cardinal that he had only a little time longer to live. His confessor approached his bed and, his heart full of sorrow, told him with tears that his last hour was come and that he must soon appear before his Savior. His great spirit did not shrink at this blow, and he replied calmly that he only desired to be fortified with the holy viaticum and extreme unction. They went immediately to the cathedral to seek the blessed sacrament, and had all the bells in Milan rung to announce to the faithful the extremity of their well-beloved bishop. During this time his family, his friends, and his servants arrived with a considerable number of ecclesiastics to receive for the last time the benediction of this holy pastor. He desired to raise his hand to bless them, but he could not even make the sign of the cross without aid, so great was his feebleness. When the blessed sacrament was brought to him, he summoned all the strength he had left to receive his Savior worthily. They clothed him in his sacred vestments. From a deep feeling of reverence, he desired to leave his bed and kneel down to receive communion, but he found he was too weak to do this. Whilst extreme unction was being administered, it was remarked that he had made every possible effort to respond to the priest. Immediately after, the last agony began. 
his chaplains, remembering that they had often heard him say that he desired to die in sackcloth and ashes, like St. Ambrose, his glorious predecessor, clothed him two hours before his death in sackcloth covered with blessed ashes. The chamber was full of ecclesiastics, some saying the prayers for the recommendation of the departing soul, others reading the Passion, and all obliged by tears to interrupt their prayers every moment. Father Adorus, the confessor of St. Charles, was by his side, holding the crucifix and suggesting a few simple and affecting thoughts from time to time. As soon as they saw that he was unconscious, sobs and tears broke forth from all present. A more affecting sight can scarcely be imagined. The great cardinal, in death's fatal clutches, stretched upon his bed, his eyes raised to heaven, deprived of consciousness, clothed in sackcloth and covered with ashes. After having remained from five until eight o'clock in the evening, peacefully but rapidly sinking, the servant of God, his eyes ever fixed upon the image of his Savior, which he had had placed before his bed, his face calm and radiant, rendered his pure soul into the hands of his Creator to receive in heaven the reward of all his labors for his divine Master. His servants could not weary of kissing his hands and washing them with their tears. On his shoulders were great bruises caused by his discipline. His flesh was hard from the sackcloth which he always wore, and his body thin and wasted to a shadow. They clothed him in his white pontifical vestments, and exposed his body according to custom in Milan Cathedral. During the three days in which it lay there, there was such an immense concourse of people that the streets and public places could not contain them, whilst the approaches to the archiepiscopal palace resembled the flux and reflux of an agitated sea. The poor, especially the widows and orphans, were disconsolate at the loss of their father. During the whole of this time, the face of St. Charles preserved an expression of joy and beatitude which appeared a manifest sign of his holiness and added to the affliction of the Milanese. They buried him according to his wishes in his own cathedral church at the foot of the steps leading up to the choir in the place the most trodden underfoot. Many noted miracles obtained for this venerated tomb so universal a devotion that the Holy Apostolic See was almost immediately obliged to make preparations for the beatification and canonization of Cardinal Borromeo, who was finally declared a saint and proposed to the pastors of the church and to the faithful as an accomplished model of all Christian and priestly virtues. End of section 81. Read by Michael Shane Craig Lambert, L.C. Toulouse, France.